0: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Listen to these words from Jesus. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that they or that you need them. <clears throat> Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Amen. Thank you, John. So last week, um, as we were moving through the message Uh, It became clear that we were either going to get out at 1 o'clock or I was going to cut the sermon a little short. So uh, I decided to push the last two points of our five-point message to today. So today we are looking, we uh, read the same passage of scripture that we read last week. And we are continuing our conversation about worry. Last week I shared my rather um, irrational worry Uh, about the worst thing that could happen to my wife if she was ever running late um, and behind schedule. You know, my mind went and goes still to all the worst case scenarios of what could possibly happen to her. But, But the fact of the matter is that we worry about all kinds of things. Many of them are quite rational. They're not all these worst case scenario things. Most of the time, we worry about rather... Normal stuff. So many of you um, may not know this about me, uh, but recently, just this semester, I started teaching one class uh, two days a week at my kid's school. And this week, I gave my first quiz. Okay, I gave my first quiz as a teacher. Now, I was instructed by the school, since this is an elective, to make this class really easy. And in my opinion, the class is really easy. But when uh, we got to class, and I reminded everybody of the quiz, there was this little freak out that started happening among the students, like, well, Dr. Fields, and I, t- I made them call me Dr. Fields. <laughs> uh, it's the only place in the world they call me Dr. Fields. Uh, so, Dr. Fields, do, uh, do, do, what if we spell the word wrong? I'm like, it'll, it'll be okay. What if we're close? It'll, it'll be okay, guys, I-, I promise. So when we finally took the quiz, we, of all the students, two kids missed one. So it was, indeed, very easy. So that's, that's what we were going for. But they had this, this little bit of a, of a freak out. Now, I couldn't help but, but smile to myself and think, why do we get so worried about little things? Now, that worry in us is a trigger that motivates us to action. That little rush of adrenaline and that elevated heart rate reminded the students that it was time to perform. But as much as that little rush might, have mo- might motivate us in general to action, hear me on this, okay? The level of response that we feel probably, not always, but probably matches the value that we place on whatever's at stake, okay? So the, the, uh, the level of adrenaline rush probably uh, matches the value of whatever we think is at stake. Now, I think when when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, I think this is a way for Jesus to, to tell in us to identify the things in our lives that we want to value and protect. So with that kind of uh, uh, framework in mind, uh, I want you guys to think about what, uh, the uh, think about worry in terms of our fight or flight response. Our fight or flight response. So what is a fight or flight response? So when we find ourselves in a tricky situation, um, our body will, will have this surge of adrenaline that either tells us it is time to fight whatever has come our way or run, flee. So you fight it or you fly, you flee, fight or flight. That's where this comes from. So A threat then, and we're talking about worry, a threat then emerges to something that you value. Then your mind and emotions and even your body gears up to respond to that threat. This is a natural and God-given reflex to us for our safety and for the safety of those that are in our care. However, not every situation deserves the same kind of response. Can I get an amen? Amen. Not every situation deserves the same kind of response. So let's say that your utility bill for the month was a little crazy, you know, like August or February, the two months that we all just brace ourselves when we open that utility bill, right? Okay, so that bill might be high and throw our whole budget out of whack. But here's my question does that require the same level of response as maybe being attacked by a carjacker? No, right? That would would not be the same. Or test anxiety, which we just discussed, right? Test anxiety is real, but your heart should not race at the level like you're on a plane that's about to crash. That's not the right kind of response. Our level of fight-or-flight response should be on par with our experience at hand. So if you find yourself at work, and you're being called into conference with your boss, right, that should not elicit the same kind of response as if you find out your child has been kidnapped. Okay, that that should not happen. Now, that's not to say that a high bill or a test or a conference with your boss aren't stressful situations. Here's, Here's what I'm getting at. But those things, like a high bill, like a test, like getting called into your office, if our response is extremely elevated, does that reveal where our treasure is? Does that show us where our heart is? I think our level of response to tricky and stressful situation may be an indicator of where our heart is, where our heart idols are. So our text today has a lot more to say than don't worry. If we come to that text and we walk away with, oh, Jesus goes, telling me not to worry, sheesh, like I didn't know, then then I think we're we're missing the point. It has a lot more to say than don't worry. This passage is Jesus' gentle and compassionate call to something better. Jesus does not want us to live in worry. Now, when we think about Jesus, we should think about Jesus as the master of substitutes. He is amazing at giving us a better thing than what we often settle for. So, sin, right, leads to death. What does Jesus offer us as a substitute instead of sin and death? He offers us life in him. That's a substitution, and that is better. Satan tempts us with Lies, but Jesus comes bringing the truth, right? So when we set our eyes on the things of the world, we worry. Jesus tells us to set our eyes on the kingdom of heaven so that we can have real and lasting peace. In other words, Jesus says, Give me your worry, and I will give you my peace. And John chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. On the night that he's betrayed, he will literally be in the tomb 24 hours later. And he's preparing his disciples for this coming execution. Now, if you ask me, this is a pretty worrisome situation. This is not a bill. This is not a test. This is not getting called into your boss's office. This is truly a life and death situation. Within 24 hours, Jesus will be dead, and he knows it. And what does he say to his disciples? Look at John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. What happens next? What does Jesus say next? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Church, what we need to see is that Jesus does not want us to be anxious or worried or fearful. Do you see the exchange that Jesus presents right here on the night that he is betrayed. He says, don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Instead, have peace, the peace that I give you. This is real peace. In fact, Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Paul says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. So worry is often a self-control issue. And it's an issue of remembering who really has the power and that we have access to that power through the Holy Spirit. And it's an exercise in self-control to keep our eyes focused on the Lord and on heaven and the kingdom of heaven rather than on earth and on temporary things. Now, after we read that in John 14 and verse 27, when he says, my peace I leave with you, I want you to see where Jesus goes next immediately in John 14, verse 28 through 31. I want you to see how he tries to help his disciples with their fear and worry. He says this, you heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. You would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Put your finger there in verse 29. How is he going to the Father? Through the cross. And what's he say? You would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Now, I want you to think. He just says, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be troubled. I want you to have the peace, the peace that I give you. And what do we know is going on? He is about to die. And what does he say? He says, rejoice. Now, what is Jesus' example? Here's what I want us to see. Where is his mind? Where is Jesus' heart as he experiences a quite anxious and fearful situation? His eyes are firmly on the Father. He calls us to a heavenly perspective, and Jesus models out before us a heavenly perspective as he faces something very, very worrisome. Jesus says, all right, you should rejoice in what comes with my death, because his death will mean redemption for all who believe. His death will mean the coming of the Holy Spirit to those who believe. His death isn't the end. That's how he goes to the Father. And of course after he dies, what happens? He will raise from the dead. How is he able to have peace in the middle of this excruciating time? It is to keep his eyes on the Father and his eternal perspective and the eternal perspective that God has called him to. It's not just about the earthly moment. It's God's bigger plan, and focusing on things of eternal value. I want you to have this kind of in the back of your head, Jesus' example, that he wants us to have peace, and where Jesus' mind was is he faced worry, as we review the five reasons that we don't need to worry about the things of this world. Now, today, we're just going to look at the last two on the list. And what I hope you see today is that one huge component component of avoiding worry in your life is being able to keep the same kind of perspective that Jesus had. The answer to worry about things of this world is having a heavenly, eternal perspective. So let's look again at the list. And again, we covered the first three last week, but here are the five reasons we don't need to worry about this world. Number one, life is bigger than our physical needs. Second. God is trustworthy, and he will meet our needs. Third, worry fixes nothing. I'm just going to put a little pin there for a second and just remind you. If you think that worry is work, you are mistaken. Worry doesn't fix anything. Who, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life? No one. Fourth, this physical world won't last anyway. And fifth, by faith, we can live as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. So last week, we only made it through the first three points. And all three of these points were really rooted in an explanation of the very first verse in the passage. So let's look again at verse 22. Verse 22 says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, at the end of the day, Jesus is calling his disciples. And who are his disciples? Okay, ultimately, yes, it's the 12 there and the people who are following him. But it's, it's you and me, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. He's calling his disciples to set our eyes on the kingdom of heaven and on eternity. So in this verse, we see that life must be about more than just this physical world. In fact, Jesus even lists physical needs in this passage, in this verse so that we can see he's not being symbolic. Like he, he actually means life is more than what you will eat and what you will wear, okay? So that, that, that's a big part of his point here. The, the implication that's teased out in these verses that we covered last week is that Jesus is trustworthy to meet our physical needs. All right? He's trustworthy to meet our physical needs. So... We can focus our heart's attention on eternal things and on his kingdom. Okay, Jesus, Jesus is going to meet our physical needs so we can focus our heart on eternal things and things of his kingdom. And ultimately, see, we see that worry isn't actually an effective problem-solving strategy at all. Now, this leaves us with the last two reasons that we don't need to worry. Now, the first three reasons are really focused on a heart that should be detached from earthly focus. Then the last two reasons shift toward an eternal focus. So one is the first three are a don't do this. The last two are a do this. Okay? Don't do that. Do this. In essence, Jesus is giving us another substitute. He says, substitute earthly physical heart desires for heavenly eternal desires. Do you see that substitute? Don't do this, do that. Focus on the things of eternity. All right, let's dive back into our passage today as we look at the fourth reason we don't need to worry. And it's this. Number four, the physical world won't last anyway. All right, let's, let's read verses 27 through 31. It says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will He clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, the first thing we need to see here is that, that Jesus says that God does indeed clothe the field, the grass of the field. He clothes, he clothes them. That's a hard word to say. He clothes them. All right. So we should understand this as yet another fulfillment of the second reason that we don't need to worry. So here again, God demonstrates his trustworthiness regarding our physical needs. He says, I'm going to do it. He says, I'm going to do it. Look at the world around you and see how I've done it. Okay, that's what he says. He knows our physical needs. But the other thing we need to see is the way that Jesus emphasizes how short life is. So he draws this out by pointing out the grass. Anybody, am I the only sicko in this room who loves to mow the grass? I love, I see that hand. Uh, uh, I love to mow the grass. It's fun. That's weird, but it is. All right, and what happens? Each week, the grass grows, and you cut it off, and it's gone. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Jesus uses this as the perfect illustration of just how short life is. And as he talks about this grass and how short it is, we see the callback to verse 7, which we read last week, and verse 24, which John read for us er earlier, which is the value of the birds. Birds don't live very long either. And what does Jesus say? He says, we are so much more important than the birds, okay? We are so much more important than the birds, and guess what, guys? You are more important than grass. Congratulations. That's what he's saying. You are more important than the birds. You're more important than the grass. And these things don't last very long. James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 echo the same basic idea that we see in Luke 12. And James is making it abundantly clear that the uh, understanding the brevity of life keeps everything in perspective. So let's look at James 4, 13 and 14. It says... Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Poof. Gone. That's humbling. Like, at the end of the day your, I don't know how long you're gonna live, 70 to 100 years, maybe more, who knows. Like, that in the scheme of history, in the scheme of eternity, is nothing. So focusing all of your 70 to 100 years uh, on the here and now, really doesn't make a lot of sense in the scope of eternity. It's so short, it's so small in comparison to the eternity that God has set before us. Scripture makes it clear that what we do with our lives here and now matters, but the motivating drive of our life cannot be about the ends that we achieve here and now in this life. The motivating drive in our life has to be something bigger than now. He calls us to focus on something eternal, Life is too short to make everything you are about just here and now. He's made us, he's created us to be everlasting beings. So we, we can't worry about the things of this world because he's called us into a life that is so much bigger and so much greater than what we experience now. So with that in mind, let's, let's look again at verses chapter, Luke chapter 12, verse 30 again. Luke 12, verse 30. Verse 30 tells us that all the nations chase after these basic needs of life. And you know what else it says? It says, God knows your needs. Now, as I think about this idea of the nations, uh, God know, that the, all the nations need these things and that they chase after them, I think Jesus is saying that, that nations have been battling in war for food and for water and for resources ever since the fall of man. This kind of worry is not new. It's not. It's, it's not a new thing and so we can't think of it as unique to our personal our personal situation. In a sense, Jesus's reference to the nations is a statement that unifies us with all the rest of humanity all the way back to Adam and Eve. God made us. He created us. If anybody knows our basic needs, it's him. He he designed us that way, that we need to be warm, that we need to have something to drink, water. We need to have food. He knows we need the basics of human life. This is a universal experience. But he also understands that though those things can can sustain life on earth, these things cannot give eternal life. So Jesus, on the one hand, he knows what we need. But on the other hand, he knows what we need. One thing is temporary. The other thing is eternal. What we really need is Jesus. So Jesus tells us to seek him and his kingdom. This is where our eternal needs are met. Throughout this whole block of teaching, even extending all the way back into chapter 11, Jesus is telling us that whatever this world has to offer us simply will not last. If we're focusing on the way things seem on the outside and not worried about our hearts and our heart's connection to God, then we are missing what we really need. And if we're pursuing all these things, They actually mean we're pursuing something less than God. We might even be setting these things up that are less than God as ultimate. This worry about these earthly things actually establishes heart idols in our lives. It elevates these things that aren't ultimate to an ultimate status. We fall into idolatry by longing after earthly stuff and earthly pleasure. We fall into idolatry by looking for human power and by looking looking to gain human authority and by trying to gain human approval. So the solution to the worry is twofold. First, we must trust that God knows your earthly needs and that he hasn't forgotten you. That is reasons one through three summed up, right? And second, we must believe that the things of the earth are not ultimate. The things of the earth are not ultimate. They're not going to last. That's reasons four and five. So we have to remember that God may be moving in a bigger way around us that is beyond what you and I can see. We are limited to our earthly perspective, but he has called us to trust him, to walk in faith, and to have an eternal perspective, trusting him in what we cannot see. This is why Jesus says in verse 28, O oh, you of little faith. By faith in God, we can trust that he knows what we need. And by faith, we can have confidence that there is more to life than our experience on earth. You see, God works with a perspective from the kingdom of heaven. So part of learning not to worry is being able to consider life from a heavenly perspective. We have to seek first his kingdom, which brings us to the fifth reason we don't need to worry. By faith, we can live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at verse 32 and following. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I hope you guys can see Jesus' gentleness in this language. He addresses the disciples there as little flock. Now, I think we should hear some tenderness in Jesus' voice. This is, this is not Jesus being condescending, all right? He's not patting them on the head. He sees himself as shepherd, as having care over these. And he's addressing their genuine fear, okay? And he comes at this with compassion, all right? He he wants them, right? Jesus is expressing his desire to lead his sheep out of the mouth of worry and into the green pastures of his peace. Do you see that exchange? So when he says to them, oh, little flock, he grieves for them because they have walked, chosen to enter the grasp of the wolf's mouth of worry. And he's saying, I've got something better for you. You can experience my peace if you will just follow me and trust me. I, I'm, I, I am going to my father, I, I am ruler of an eternal kingdom. You can trust me. I'm the good shepherd. I lead to green pastures. Please don't settle for this life of worry. And how does Jesus continue this teaching? Oh, my goodness. He talks about it being God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So when Jesus says, oh, little flock, come with me. I want to give you peace Again, it's not like this token leftover thing. This is not the bonus. This is the thing. I've got peace to give you. Follow me. And you won't have to fear. You won't have to be anxious. Not because the things of this world aren't important. Your Heavenly Father knows you need them. Right? He he addresses that yeah, but... I know all of us have this, yeah, but, okay, Brandon, I get it. We're supposed to have a heavenly perspective. Right, but how's that going to pay the bills? Right, right. I know God has this heavenly perspective that it's all eternity, but what about my spouse who's very sick? What he's saying is you can trust me. He's not saying it's going to be easy. He's saying that there is peace there. He's saying he knows your need. He's saying... He will be with you. And then he's saying this, and this is the part that we need to grab hold of, probably more than anything else, is that if we are in Christ, if we placed our hope and salvation in him, then even though we may experience suffering in the world now, and we will, it's it's just a vapor. It's it's minuscule in compared to the, the fullness of eternity. Does that mean our pain or hurt is any less? No. No, that pain is real. It really hurts. That grief is real. But it's not the end. And that's what he wants us to know. It's not the end. It's just a vapor in comparison to all that there is in Christ for eternity. That's how we can have peace in the middle of of our hard world and our suffering today. Jesus says this. We already read from John 14. but Before he got to the part that we read earlier, he says this in John 14, 1 through 3. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm sorry, if it it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What's he say to his disciples here? Again, as he's comforting them in ways that they don't even understand. They don't fully comprehend that Jesus is about to die. They don't get it. And yet Jesus is still, before their fears even really show up, Jesus is already offering them comfort. He's saying, I'm going to leave, but don't you worry. I'm coming back. You're not alone. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, but I'm also going to raise again. And don't you worry, I'm coming back again at the resurrection of the dead as well. Jesus Jesus comes, look for his disciples three times. He comes back from the grave, he sends the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come back again. Like He's saying, I'm coming, and we should see that as a source of tremendous comfort. I want you to see how active Jesus is here. He's saying, I go and prepare a place for you. He's not passive. This is active. And he doesn't want our hearts to be troubled. He doesn't want us to worry. He's he's offering this great substitute yet again. On your own, you're going to be tempted to worry. On your own, you're going to be tempted to be troubled. But what does he have for you? A place. Not just a place. A home. A place where you belong. A place where the Son of God paid your rent for eternity and the price of his own blood. That's a place you can count on. That's a place you can trust. So he's saying, Listen, I know the things of these world matter. God knows you need them, but you can trust him to meet these needs. But they're not ultimate. They're just temporary. Your life is a vapor, but our souls extend forever. Jesus tells us that we can sell all that we have and give to the poor as a way of helping us see that none of this lasts. And so any attempt uh, or any worry over earthly comfort or pleasure is is worry about things that will not last. So to invest our time and energy in things that, that won't last is a fool's errand. Instead, he says, place all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you don't feel like you have to have it here and now in this world anymore. He says, "He says, just sell everything. Just sell everything and give it to the poor. When you feel like you don't have to have it anymore, then you don't worry when it's gone. When you feel like you don't have to have it anymore, then you don't worry when it's gone. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, don't set your heart on the, things of these wor- on, on the things of this world. Instead, set your mind on things above. We can worry about all kinds of things. We can worry about a job. We can worry about a reputation. We can worry about our health. We can worry about how our kids might make us look. We can worry about what our friends think about us at school. I was thinking about this. Parents. How many times when your kid has experienced something hard at school, or maybe they expressed to you that uh, somebody that they thought was their friend actually isn't their friend at school, how many times have you as a parent said, man, I've been out of high school for 20, 30 years, I can't tell you the last time I talked to my friends from high school. What they say about you in the scheme of things doesn't matter. They might be your relationships now, but in time, they're not going to be. Don't let what happens in your teen years define you. Your life is so much bigger than those four years of high school. How many of us have parented our children in some form or fashion in that way? Saying, hey, that's hard, it's real pain, but it's just a short season of your life. Do you know where I'm going? Do you know the connection I'm getting ready to make? That same logic is what the Lord uses on us in the scheme of eternity. We come to our children with the perspective of the moment. We, you know what? I'm, I turn 40 next month, right? Like I can look at my children and I can say, 20 years of experience post high school tells me that what you're experiencing now, though real, is not ultimate. And God can say from the scope of eternity, what, what you're experiencing right now though real, is not ultimate. Just chew on that for a minute. The same advice you would give your kid, the Lord gives us. And he says, do not worry. I've got you covered. These things aren't ultimate. What I'm going to give is. I'm going to read a passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I read it all the time. Revelation 21 verses 3 through 6. I want you to see this, this great exchange that Jesus offers us and why we don't need to worry. It says this. This is the end, okay, when it's done, when eternity is beginning. I I like that phrase, when eternity is beginning. Anyway, right here, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you see the exchange? There's the old thing, right? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. There's the new thing. That's what he's giving us. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Don't worry so much about the beginning, because he's the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. I love that, that symbolism right here. We see here an earthly need connected to a spiritual reality. This idea, we we thirst and we get thirsty again. But when we come to the living waters of Jesus Christ, he offers us a springs of water of life without payment. Because he paid it in full. Does that help you with your perspective? How can we not worry? It's not that these things of life don't matter. It's that... They're not ultimate. He has called us to have peace by focusing on the kingdom of God. He has called us to a future in Christ Jesus. He has called us to a future where we don't need to worry about the things of today because this world isn't going to last anyway. So I want to end today by looking at another passage that we looked at last week. It's Philippians 4, chapter 4 through 7. And as we think of this idea of keeping our mind set on eternity as we experience the, the harsh realities of today, I want you to look at this passage. Paul says to the church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what I love here, and I think I mentioned this last week, but I can't remember, so I'm going to say it again. If I can't remember, you can't either. It's verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness, what's that set against? Anxiety. The reasonableness is set against anxiety. Now, why would Jesus say reasonableness here? Look at what it says. It says, but in everything, with supplication. Supplication is the word for asking the Lord. With supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The reason that reasonableness is associated, you know, contrasted against anxiety here is because if we have faith, if we believe, then we can take our requests, our anxieties, to the Lord. And we can trust that he knows what to do with them. And so it is reasonable when we experience anxiety to take it to the Lord to present our requests to him, make them known before God. And when we do that, trusting him with our anxiety, we can have peace. And not just peace, but peace that passes all understanding, which actually makes us unreasonable in the other direction. Why are you so peaceful? Because I trust the Lord with my requests. I am anxious about this. We all know I should be anxious about this. The nations know we need these things. The Lord knows we need these things. But I can take these requests to the Lord in my anxiety because I am a person of faith. And a person of faith, if they are reasonable, trusts the one who they believe in. So if I trust him for my salvation in eternity, then I can trust him with my present in this reality. So to be reasonable in my faith is to take my requests to the Lord, and as I take my requests to the Lord, believing that he will take care of them, like he promised, like we saw in Luke, then I can have a peace that passes all understanding. Not because of anything I did, but because I trust that God knows what he's doing. So what's the formula to peace? First off, it's, it's understanding that God is capable and trustworthy with our human needs. And second, it's keeping an eternal perspective that no matter what happens in this world, it's all just a vapor anyway. And if we have faith like this, then we can have true peace. Now, there's a chance that many of you who are here today have have worry and anxiety because you're you're wrapped up in things of this world that won't last. So as we close today, I want you to ask yourself if your worry points to any hard idols that you may have that you need to confess before the Lord. So I want you to think about that thing that invokes that fight, fight or flight response that we talked about earlier. That thing that is an un... Like it doesn't match. Our response doesn't match the anxiety at hand. Where does that shoot up do you care too much about what other people think of you? When you find yourself in a situation where you're worried about what people think of you, is that making all this fight or flight kick in and your anxiety levels through the roof? If that's the case, then maybe you have self-image as an idol. Do you feel the need to control as much of your environment around you as possible? Then perhaps you have an idol out of personal comfort. Do you pinch every penny and stress over? every bill then perhaps money is an idol do you walk through worst case scenarios thinking through every situation from a safety standpoint listen being safe is good but even safety can be an idol and a way for us to find peace apart from God Jesus says where your treasure is your heart will be also so my question is where is your treasure If it's in heaven, then let your heart rest in the kingdom of heaven. If it's on earth, then it's time to let go of your self-reliance and trust on the one who has saved your eternal soul to meet your physical needs on earth as well. Remember that Jesus is the best substitute. He wants you to lay down your worry so that he can give you his peace. As the praise team comes, would you guys pray with me? Lord, we we thank you for how much you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you extend your peace to us, that we can know you, and we can rest in the fact that you you make your promise. You clothe the lilies of the field. You uh, feed the sparrows. How much more value? Valuable are we than they. If you are faithful and trustworthy to meet their needs, then we can trust you to meet our ultimate needs as well. Father, I pray if there's anybody here who's who's wrapped up in anxiety and worry, that today they would see how much you love them and how much you want them to have peace. Lord, I pray that they would lay their worry and their anxiety down before you. And Father, I pray that you would give them the faith to trust that you can handle it. Lord, we, we trust you with all things. It's in your name we pray, amen. So as we sing these these last songs, it's a time of response. The altar is open. I want to encourage you first and foremost, like I said in my prayer, if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with worry, then you have an opportunity to lay those worries down before him and to tell him you trust him. And, And you know what? You may have to do that over and over and over and over again, but that's part of the discipline, right? To know that we can take it to him every single time. You may be here and you may be thinking, I want to know the Jesus who provides that kind of peace. Well, if you want to know more about what it is to put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation, then I'd love to talk with you. I know a Christian brother or sister would love to talk with you about that as well. However the Lord may be doing business in your life, Now's the time to talk to him as we sing.